Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Monday, May 11th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, good to talk to you. Uh, right off the bat this week, uh, earlier this week, we're supposed to get uh, more of a, a clear indication from the league what the, the proposal is going to be for a return to play as, as they're supposed to get that proposal approved by the owners and then on Tuesday send it to the Players Association. Uh, what's the latest you've heard from that and, and what, how things could look? Yeah, Joe, uh, just from, uh, I, I guess, you know, they're, they're narrowing the, the season down to what, probably 80, 75 to 82 games, somewhere in there. Um, you know, as we've, uh, you know, talked about before, you know. And the expanded uh, playoffs as well. Yeah, and expanded playoffs and, you know, a, a start, a June start to spring training. Then uh, sometime in early July, the regular season would start providing, you know, everything, you know, the health concerns and the virus are, you know, in check and there's enough testing uh, for the players and staff members. Um, and then, uh, so 82 games, uh, I, it's a little, uh, that's fewer games than I was expecting, but I guess uh, the owners are sending this uh, proposal to the Players Association and, uh, you know, we still got some hurdles to, to, to uh, clear, you know, with salary uh, salary, uh, you know, the salary situation and the health situation, but things are, you know, definitely there's some momentum now, right now. Yeah. There's uh there's some, you know, speculation on what, it, what the composition of the schedule could look like. Uh, of course the, the parameters are you play within your own division and the, uh, the opposite division in the other leagues. So the Indians would play American league central opponents. And there are four of those times up to like 12 games maybe each and then each of the National League Central opponents which would be five uh, times up to six games each for there so you're talking uh, a home and an away series uh, of three games each for your National League opponents and then uh, two home and two away series of three games although I guess you could vary that a little bit and have uh, you know, two uh, a home and an away four game series, and a home and an away um, three game series against each division opponent, and that would take you out to about uh, between 70, 78 and eighty six games. I think would be the the range there. So 
it all depends on how, how much they want to try and squeeze in if double headers are going to be a factor in that. Uh, but that's sort of what we're looking at in terms of, you know, getting an idea of what a schedule might look like. And then you also have to factor in the, uh, the idea that if these games don't get played, uh, because, uh, because a player or members of a team test positive and they have to shut things down for a week or, or something like that, then you also have to take that into a, a consideration. But it also leads into that uh, proposal that was discussed early back in February about expanding the play- playoffs from five teams in each league to seven teams, and and letting the team with the best record, you know, sit out the wild card round. Yeah, it's. It, I like that part. That's kind of exciting. Um, I'm so I guess you know the the proposal with the three ten team divisions. Is mm-hmm. out the window. That's that's no longer in play. They're going to be the traditional five, you know, uh, traditional divisions that that we all know and love. I guess. I, I I think that the preferred way to do that is to not mix things up and in ter- and just stay within your divisions because because mostly those divisions are geographic anyways. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's what the league wa- would prefer and would want to see. You're you're talking also, you know, competition wise, they're pretty pretty straight down the line in terms of, you know, the number of you know tough opponents you'd, you'd be seeing and and, and whatnot. Uh, the the East would obviously be a a much harder region because you've got uh, improved teams like uh, you know Philadelphia and Atlanta uh, playing against New York, you know, regularly as opposed to uh, the Indians having to play, you know. Milwaukee, St. Louis, those are both contending teams and the Cubs, and, uh, Cubs, and the Cubs as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, but it would also be an opportunity to go to go to those National League uh, parks and play there as well. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you've got Milwaukee with a dome, which if they have to go to some sort of, you know, pod situation where you're, you're playing out of one location, the, the dome is an, an appealing situation in the in the central divisions. And it seemed like spring training was, you know, ideally they'd like to hold it in the big the team's big league ballpark, but some teams may end up training in in Arizona or Florida or their at their spring training sites. Right, your your New York teams would more than likely have to train, uh, in in Florida at least to start, and and then possibly move move their operations up to to New York at some point. Maybe they play their early games in their facilities down in Florida. So yeah. uh, again, still all speculation and, and, and rumor until we get a, an actual report that we get eyeballs on from the, uh, the, the league as, as of what they send to the owners, but uh, the negotiations that they're setting up, you know, come down to what the, what the players are going to be willing to give back in terms of salary or, you know, concede in terms of salary in order to play a season in front of no fans in the stands. Yeah, and uh, the inherent risk they are taking. I think that's a big, a big factor that you know we kind of picked up on that from talking to Plutko and mm-hmm. and uh, you know so that that was the first uh, first time that kind of you know I said ah an, an aha moment that you know you knew that was going to be a uh, that was going to be a key factor in the, the negotiations. Well, and you got to figure that that's something that's being thrown around in communications between the players themselves is right. that that idea of inherent risk you know uh you know to hear it from an actual player you know firsthand is 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 rather telling like like you said so yeah uh there there's it's 
it's progress, but it's there's a long way to go in terms of negotiation. I think uh, uh, by the end of this week, maybe we're closer to finally saying, "Okay, uh, get them ready because they're they're going to to start training." Uh, you know, mid June or something like that. Uh, uh, also, this week, uh, last night, we we had the opportunity to sit back and watch the uh, the last dance on ESPN, and it was the baseball episode. Paul, it was. It was everything we had hoped for and more, I think. Uh, what would you think of it, Joe? I, you know, I thought it was episode seven, I thought was the most emotionally packed episode. And it was going to have to be because it was the one that dealt with Michael Jordan's uh, father being murdered and the, the fallout from that. And uh, I know it, it, it showed that um, press conference that you went to uh, back oh, yeah? in Chicago. That I, you, you really got sort of with the with the pullback camera views of the media that was there and the number of reporters and cameras and everything, it was just crazy. And there's shots of like, you know, Andrea Kramer and Hannah Storm and people just like, you know, reacting off camera to all the stuff that, that was going on. And I just thought, wow, what a circus that was. That must have been the, the biggest press conference you've ever covered in your career. Yeah, that was a circus. I mean, you know, I was in uh, Chicago covering the White Sox uh, postseason. Mm-hmm. I think they were playing in Toronto. Yeah, it was and, the uh, American League Championship Series. Yeah, and uh, they called me from work and told me to rent a car and uh, get up there to, to see what was going on. And, I, you know, I, I walked in there blind as usual. And <laughs> I thought, geez, oh, man, <laughs> where where'd all these people come from? But a lot of baseball writers came up there to do the same thing I was doing. So that just added to the throng. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just interesting to, to track the whole movement of Jordan through not just the, that, that press conference, but, uh, you know, up to the, the owner's press box, Reindorf's, Reinsdorf's press box or um, uh, suite at the ballpark. And then, you know, just how that all evolved into him eventually getting a contract with the, with the White Sox uh, later on that February. And as a, as a baseball guy, when you heard that at the time, were, were you just like everybody else and just sort of blowing it off like, oh, this is just a publicity stunt? Or, or did you think it was serious when, when it was happening in real time? No, I, I got to tell you, I, I thought it was a joke. You know, I thought this guy, something happened to this guy. Either he got busted gambling, he got suspended for a year, and then he has to, so he has to go and find something to do. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, he's going to try, try, you know, he's going to try his, his luck at baseball. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't think too seriously of it at all. You know, I thought it was just a guy looking for something to do. Well, one thing that the, uh, the episode last night, The Last Dance, did sort of do was try to reshape the narrative uh, that, that, like you said, that we've, we've heard all along was that there, there was some sort of shadow suspension or, or whatever but it also reshaped the narrative of just how good or bad Jordan was as a baseball player, because, you know, to, to have been away from the game, he had having not played it since he was 17, he walks in there at age 31 and hits 200 at the double a level. And we're not talking about starting at rookie level or, you know, single a ball or short season or something like that. He's, he's up there with guys who are, you know, a, a, a broken ankle away from, you know, somebody in the, on the major league roster, you know, taking their spot. I, I mean, yeah. you're, you're playing with high level, you know, teammates in competition and he hit 200, 202 with 51 RBIs and 30 stolen bases in, in a double a AA season. 
that's an accomplishment, even if it's not, you know, high level. And, and what they did when they introduced Terry Francona uh, in the, the, the segment was, you know, Francona said to a lot of people's shock that he thought with 1,500 at-bats that Jordan could have made it in the major leagues. That's what everybody sort of latched onto. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, talking to uh, Tito. This is two or three years ago in spring training. And he said that basically he said the same thing. He said, I thought if he had enough time that he could have eventually made it to the big leagues. And I don't think that was just, you know, lip service. You know, I think he, he believed that. And obviously the guy was one of the best athletes in the world, you know, in his prime. And uh, could he, you know, and it, it's such a different sport, you know, than the basketball to baseball. It's such a, a different game. And, you know, I just remember, you know, down at the stadium, this was a long time ago at, at Progressive Field. And I was watching LeBron take some hacks in the cage. and this, you know, you could tell he spent his whole life dribbling a basketball, that he hadn't swung a, ba- a baseball bat too much. And it's just it's such a different set of skills. And for Jordan to do that, to make that kind of adjustment, that says a lot. Well, and, and that he, he actually spends time in that uh, seventh episode where he talks about, you know, not just going to baseball, but coming back from baseball and, and that 95 basketball season when he said he had spent – 18 months training his body for baseball and now he needed to train his body again for for basketball and he said that was a difficult transition because the muscles that you use are different and and things were were a lot different for him and that's you know it's not an excuse for why the Bulls didn't advance that that first season he came back uh, at the end of the year and then sort of just played in the playoffs uh, wearing the number 45 jersey um, but you know it did give it sort of an indication as to what his motivation was in that off season and made that 96 championship, you know, all the more improbable for him because he, he had to work double time and he was filming uh, space jam at the time. So uh, pretty insane. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of cartoons, uh, it was just great to see Tito uh, get, you know, sort of his 15 minutes and, and Barney got his, you know, Mike Barnett also uh, was a big part of that segment uh, last night and basically told some of the same stories that we heard him talk about last week here on the podcast. Uh, about Jordan but again it it just bears repeating that Barney was so uh, so taken by Jordan's work ethic and his commitment and dedication once he decided to do this he decided to go at it a hundred percent and he did it you know and that was that was the way he was yeah you can't fool baseball lifers like Tito and and and, uh, Mike Barnett I mean if you're not in it a hundred percent they can sniff that out right away. The day you walk through the, the first day you walk into a clubhouse, they'll know. So, and both of them, you know, gave Jordan, you know, high marks in that regard. So my, uh, God, no, I mean, you could, you could tell by listening to those two guys that, uh, you know, that, that they, you know, he, he was a true believer. He, he was <laughs> trying, he was given everything he had. My favorite line from the episode last night, from my favorite Tito line from the episode last night was, he said, well, you know, four days before spring training was going to end, uh, I sort of bump into him and, and after they had assigned him to, to us. And I said, well, I'm Terry. I guess I'm going to be your manager. And it was just <laughs> like the, he just said the, the delivery was great. So I'm not going with a full on Tito imp- uh, impersonation here, but uh, uh, I thought but it Frank was. Cone is a basketball, crazy basketball fan. Lifer. Yeah, he loves yeah. Uh, he, Arizona men's basketball season tickets courtside. I mean. And 
and every opportunity he gets to ask us, like the, the reporters in the room, after the cameras go off, you know, hey, did you catch the, the NBA playoff games last night? Or, you know, to ask the guys who also cover uh, the Cavs about LeBron or, or, or whatever like that. You know, he's always looking for, for info and, and, and just insight on that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to be around him and, and to hear the stories. He's just a, a, a fantastic storyteller. All right, let's, uh, let's transition here into taking uh, just a couple of questions. We've got time for a few uh, from our listeners and our uh, readers on subtext. Indians.com or Cleveland.com slash Indians slash um, uh, subtext. Uh, I'm sorry, Cleveland.com slash subtext. Or if uh, you're able to text two, uh, 216-208-4346 is the number to send a message to. In order to get uh, signed up, three ninety nine a month gets you all of our inside info uh, with the Indians. Uh, Hoinsey, what do you got from our, our readers and our listeners? This is from uh, Jeb from Powell, Ohio. Uh, what do you think the 2021 Indians infield will look like? I'm interested as Lindo will likely be traded and Hernandez signed a one-year deal and could be gone at the end of uh, this season. Will top prospects Nolan Jones and Tyler Freeman be ready to contribute at the big league level? Wow. I would say had the coronavirus not hit, I, I would say Nolan Jones would be close to being ready at, at yeah. third base. But uh, who knows what kind of development he's going to be able to, to get under his belt this year. Uh, and Tyler Freeman, I think, might be a, a year or more away uh, from that. So. They might have to bring in some some veteran as a as a stopgap at at shortstop. Uh, it's a it's a that's an interesting question because you know Santana could be gone too if they don't pick up his option at the right. end of this year. Right. So you're looking at you've got Jose Ramirez at third and the three open infield spots right now. I mean, if that's if you do trade Lindor, you figure you're going to get some. You know, maybe you you got to get a major league player back at least two or two major league ready players back. Maybe you get a, you know, like you said, a stopgap shortstop or, but uh, that, that's, that's, that's really an interesting question. I mean, you've got, you, you could put Bowers at first base, right? Jake Bowers. Right. right. And if you've still got Bradley, you, you've got an option. Yeah. There as well. Right. Exactly. That's a good point. I forgot about Bradley. Yeah. But if, if you're talking, you know, your, your, your middle infield pieces are, are the one your, your, your second base and shortstop are the ones that you're, you're really going to be concerned about. Uh, there are plenty of prospects in the Indians pipeline. You know, we just went through the, the top 30 prospects and half of those guys are switch hitting middle infield, you know, second base shortstop guys. But most of those guys are, are two, maybe three years away from, from being, you know, uh, yeah. major league ready. They're babies. Uh, A lot of them right. are like 18 years old. Brian Rocchio just turned 18 and yeah. he's, and he's sort of the, the class of that group, and and he's he's a a, a hitting a high hitting tool guy who who's going to work his way into you know being a an everyday shortstop maybe second baseman, but yeah I I got to think that they would have to find a, a veteran guy to to fill that shortstop spot if Lindor isn't there next year. Yeah, yeah, they could move. You know, maybe they move the the long awaited move to Ramirez to second and play. Uh, Play Jones at third, you know, start the season with Jones and just see how he does. But you're right, Joe. I mean, this if they don't, play, if the minor leaguers don't play this year, that's a killer. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a setback. That, 
I mean, I don't know how you make up for that lost time. Uh, just, just the development alone uh, on on Jones and Freeman and a guy like a uh, Tyler Krieger or something like that. These are all guys who would would fit that bill to to be able to come up and 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 play there. But you're there's no experience at behind Lindor right now at shortstop. Yeah, or you you could play Chang there, but I don't like Chang at shortstop. No, I don't think anybody likes Chang at shortstop. I mean, you could play him at second base maybe, but. He 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 boots too many balls for me at shortstop. I he's, don't know. He's a third baseman in in, in my mind just because of the, the power profile. I don't think he's Christian Arroyo maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe he he's not got shortstop though. He could play second base maybe. Right. Right. Arroyo's short uh second base, third base. As, yeah. as far as as far as I can tell. But yeah, uh yeah. Interesting question. Yeah, there's if if it were 2023, I'd say the Indians are set. But uh, yeah, you know they they could just throw four or five different guys out there and see how they do. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, let's see. This is from Bill Bill Drummer from Wasian. I always mispronounce that. Wasian. I don't know. Yeah, Wasian. Yeah. Uh, the MLB decision to limit the draft to five rounds seems like just one more way for rich teams to get richer. Most of the teams feel it will be a financial relief not to be burdened by signing, you know, 40 rounds of, uh, of, uh, of uh, prospects. But the Yankees and Dodgers of the world will use this to sign anyone they please to excess. Good players who would be locked in by the draft to the teams that draft them now will, now will choose to go to the limelight. Uh, do you see this hurting the Indians and all small and all small market teams? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I I think if you're where they can sign a, an unlimited number, or is it a limited number of twenty thousand dollars? Unlimited um, number of players, undrafted players at twenty thousand or less. Boy, that's a that's huge for the Yankees. That's huge for the Dodgers and the Cubs and the well, maybe not the Cubs. Uh, and maybe not the the Red Sox. The Red Sox seem to be giving back uh, a lot of salary lately too. But yeah, yeah the the bigger market teams that can spend uh, that are recession proof. Um, yeah, I think they they do have a chance here to sort of make hay in those uh, with those guys who would have gone in the later rounds. I mean, what what round did they get? Did the Indians get uh, um, Zach Plesac in? I mean, he was yeah, he was, he was a twelfth round pick, a later uh, round guy. I mean, Karen Check was a ninth round pick. Uh, Cody Allen was a twenty third round pick, but. But I'm just – I'm thinking, Joe, like, you know, the draft was set up, you know, to to give teams that – you know, they, the draft order is set from, you know, the worst to the first. So right. if you lose 110 – you know, like Detroit lost 114 games last year. They've got the number one pick. You know, that ba- – you know, and, that, and with slot values, that balances – that you know, that balances things out. But – if I'm if I'm a you know a really a good high school player, and I don't get drafted in the first five rounds, and somebody offers me twenty grand, am I going to take that or am I going to go to college, and you know and play two years or three years or go to a junior college and play a year and then come back out and, and try to be you know and, and improve my draft standing? I, I still think that uh, uh, the the majority of the good players are going to take that twenty thousand dollars and, and really? go. Really, I really do. Um, it, it, 
there there's not going to be as much of a you're going to you're going to crush the system plus you don't know what the NCAA is going to do you've got kids coming back because they were offered their senior yeah. years back and it, are they going to they're going to offer more scholarships that that doesn't make any sense you're going to you're going to overtax the system uh yeah you're going to have guys coming from both ends of the pipeline but if you're a college senior you know, I could see, you know, if you've right. already finished your college, your senior year, you've right. got no leverage, you know, you take the 20 grand and run. Right. You know, but, but if I'm a high school senior, boy, and, and I got a, you know, like a, a full ride going to UCLA or something. But, but how many spots is UCLA is going to have to do a juggling act there and, and say, yeah, it's well, like what, 11, 11, left, you know, I think there's 11.7 spots or recruiting spots. Each team gets eleven eleven point seven scholarships, something like that. Okay. Uh, college team, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, they've got kids who are going to be coming back anyways ahead of you. So how many spots are there going to be available? It's if if you're one of the elite high school players, you're getting maybe drafted in that in those top five rounds. If you're not one of the elite high school players, you you're there's a better chance that you can just go and um, you know, start your career and get, get in those, yeah. those early development years that way. It's better for you to just start playing. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. And, and <laughs> I mean, and, and next year, you know, they could, uh, the owners could uh, have a 60 could, round uh, limit the draft to 20 rounds. <laughs> yeah. That so, would... I mean, and, and I think this is eventually what they want to do, right? Because they want to contract like 20 or 40, 40 minor, minor league teams. Yeah. So if you limit, you know, you you don't draft as many players. You don't have to have as many teams to play them at. Right. All right. Well, that's going to uh, wrap it up for us this week. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Today's show, uh, Monday. Uh, hopefully, this week we'll uh, we'll get a few uh, guests from the Indians uh, in the pipeline and and talk to a few familiar faces, uh, like we have the last couple of weeks. Uh, until then, we'll uh, keep it tuned to the, the latest progress in the talks between the owners and the players and give you any updates here on Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsie, good to talk to you. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Thanks, Joe.